Having a physical defenseman used to be a commodity in the sport of hockey. If you had one, you wanted to keep him. If you didn't have one, you wanted to get one. Those were the good old days. You've heard many guys on this podcast utter the phrase, it's the new NHL, and none of them have ever said it in a positive light. Well, if you miss the good old days of physical, tough hockey and physical, tough defensemen, stay tuned because I'm about to present to you the top 10 toughest New York Islanders defensemen of all time. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck but just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. So I don't have a guest for you guys this week, but I don't think that's going to be a problem. As of late, it seems like there's been a lot of countdowns. Top 10 this, top 15 this, top 20 that. And a lot of it is focused on hockey. And a lot of people have been doing their own top 10 lists in hockey. I have always wanted to do a definitive top 10 Islanders list. And I've done some in the past. Um, the impetus for this project, however, is the top 10 lists I've done in the past. The Islanders have a long and rich tradition of tough hockey. The issue becomes towards the top of the list. Um, and, and I'll go into this in greater detail when we get to those positions and ultimately when I get to the, to the top 10 list. What I've decided to do is I'm going to go position by position. Not goalies. I mean, everybody would know that Billy Smith would be number one by a mile. Um, Kelly Rudy beat up John Van Beesburg once. Uh, not many fights for the Islanders. Even guys like Ron Hextall, who has a reputation as a tough goalie, or Garth Snow, same thing, didn't really fight with the Islanders. So um, with the exception of Billy Smith and Kelly Rudy and maybe one or two other guys, I know Royden Gunn had an exhibition game fight once uh, that I witnessed, but... Not many bouts from the Islander goalies outside of battling Billy Smith. So we're going to leave the goalies out of it. But I'm going to do um, five separate episodes. We're going to do top ten defensemen, top ten centers, top ten right wing, top ten left wings. And then ultimately it's going to lead up to uh, the ultimate top ten list. And like as I was saying, a lot of times when you see an Islander top ten list, it usually ends up with Clark Gillies being number one. And... I'm not disparaging Clark Gillies at all. As you've heard me say on many episodes, when I ask my guests who they were as a kid on the ponds, 
I always say when I was playing street hockey in Queens and on Long Island, I was always Clark Gillies or I was Bobby Nystrom. I love Clark Gillies. And I think as a kid, um, you don't necessarily take a lot of things into account as much as you do when you get older. And Clark Gillies is similar to a lot of guys in that era, guys like Nick Fatiu and uh, I have other guys, I'm drawing a blank right now, where they don't have the quantity of fights. And Gillies, to me, is the perfect example of a guy who did the most damage in the least amount of fights. Gillies earned this reputation. I mean, it really is the perfect, uh, perfect equation for a player like that because if you don't have to fight 30 to 35 times a year, why would you? And the fact is, Gillies only had a fraction of the fights of a lot of his contemporaries and a lot of his contemporaries with the Islanders. If you compare his number of fights to Bob Nystrom, it's significantly less. And forget if you compare it to Gary Howitt's number of fights. Um, so I, I wanted to dig deeper into the history of Islander fighters. I wanted to include a lot of things, not just I saw Gillies beat up at Hospodark or... You know, Gillies had a great series with Terry O'Reilly in those playoffs. Um, you know, I wanted to go deeper into it. I wanted to make it a project. So what I did was I went back uh, to many players. It's, it's probably uh, could be 100 players, maybe not that much, maybe 60, 70. I don't know. It seems like anyone who ever dropped the gloves for the Islanders, I went back and uh, I went through all their seasons and uh, it's my version of analytics, actually, if you can believe it. I know you've heard me uh, just talk about how I think analytics is bullshit. And for the record, it's not bullshit. It's just nothing I would use to be the primary indicator on anything. But um, it's my analytics in terms of me using uh, penalty minutes and fighting majors and games played for the team, uh, how many times they led the team in penalty minutes, how many times they led the team in fighting majors. So I wanted to include all of that to if it doesn't change the list at least acknowledge um just a guy like gary howitt for instance who really is never in the discussion for toughest islander of all time and that's really because of the guys that he played with because people are always going to say clark gillies though some people will say bob nystrom uh and what i've learned is in my history of doing this stuff i i feel like the people i've had in my top five and in no order, I've had Clark Gillies, Bob Nystrom, Mick Vakoda, Eric Cairns, and Gary Howitt. And I feel like after doing all this research, I feel like I can make an argument for each one of those guys to be number one. And I think it would be a good argument. Now, whether people agree with it or not, that's for you to decide. But I think it's I think for me, someone like myself who really takes a lot of pride in this, I mean, I must I must take pride in it. I base my whole podcast around tough guys who played for the Islanders. Um, I wanted to do something where I just don't rattle off guys' names and whatever. I want to at least give you the stats, give you their fighting major totals, their penalty minute totals, talk about who they fought, and present it to you that way. And I felt the best way to do an ultimate top 10, a definitive top 10 Islanders list, the best way to go about it would be to go position by position. And I started with defensemen, which is what we're going to get to later today. And, um, you know, it's been very time-consuming, but again, um, excuse me, I'm furloughed, so I have time, but it's also a passion. So it doesn't seem like a project. If you wanted me to give you a top 10 list of 
all-time uh, New York Knicks uh, free throw shooters, that would be a chore and torture. Um, but this is actually a lot of fun. I've ha I've I mean this defenseman project. I've had a lot of fun doing it. I've actually done. I think I've had three or four lists that I've altered in one way, shape, or form. Um, I've run it by a few people, and uh, they seem like you know they agreed with it. it maybe not a hundred percent, but basically said they couldn't really argue with it, and it's people that I respect. So I feel pretty confident in this final list that I came up with. Um, so I will present that to you momentarily. Uh, one note, if I, during the course of this broadcast, sound like I am in pain, it's because I am in pain. I don't know what I did to the left side of my body in the rib area. I don't know what I did, but I did something and it fucking hurts. So if you hear me, maybe during the course of the interview, go, or whatever, sound like maybe someone's poking me with a sword or something like that. Uh, it's because I'm moving around in my chair and it hurts, but you got to play with pain, right? I mean, come on, we all should do it. I'm, I would like to think I'm old school and not today's NHL. So I have to bring this to the people and that's what I plan on doing. But first, if you're listening to the show, I want to thank you very much. I had an email this week from someone that was potentially interested in not himself sponsoring my show, but he's someone that I guess uh, supplies sponsors to some podcasts and uh, sports-related podcasts and everything. And he wanted to know what kind of numbers I do. And to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I signed up with Chartable. I get daily updates on the show and where I rank in different countries. And when I went to the actual Chartable page, I honestly don't know what I'm looking at. I, I, so I gave him numbers that I thought were accurate I could have been totally off. I don't think I was, um, but apparently the numbers that I gave him were not high enough for the shows, for the um, sponsors that he would supply to shows. Um, you know, and that's fine with me. You know, I never, I didn't start doing this to get sponsors or to be one of the big dogs on the block. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Everyone wants what they do to, I guess, get to a certain level, but. I've received so many compliments, so many notes, so many texts, so many messages from people that, you know, I would like to grow the show. I still plan on growing the show. I figure if I put out good content, word will get around and more people will listen. But I'm also smart enough to understand that I do a similar show to a few other guys, but I limit myself to the Islanders organization. And that may not be everyone's cup of tea. And I totally get that. But I'm not going to change it because this is what I'm passionate about. So I guess the reason why I'm telling you this about the guy that emailed me about potential sponsors is um, I don't know where my numbers are compared to other people. But if you're listening to this, then you're part of the number that I gave this guy. And I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate you tuning in. And uh, it means a lot to me because I could sit here and talk to myself, but... I guess it's nice to know there's someone on the other end listening to what you're doing, whether they agree with you or not, or whether they enjoy the interviews or not. Although I guess if you didn't enjoy them, you wouldn't listen. But, uh, but like I said, hopefully one day the show will be bigger than it is. But if not, I'm totally cool with it. If I, if 10 of you are out there listening right now and are really enjoying the content I put out, that's great because you know what I do it. I do it for fun. I do it, you know, to reconnect with a lot of these guys that uh, I either once knew 
or I continue to know, but I, I never did anything long form like a podcast where I could bring you the story of their career. So um, maybe one day I'll be up in the uh, upper stratosphere, but if not, I'm totally cool with that. Thank you very much for listening. It means a lot to me. If you are listening, though, if you could please, no matter what platform you're listening on, there's got to be a button on there to subscribe. If you don't mind, please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, whatever it is. And I think it might just be Apple where you can actually rate and review the show. Uh, I guess, again, I can't even read all the chartable stuff and know what I'm looking at. But I imagine there's some algorithm where if you rate the show and then you post a review, that's better for me. I guess maybe I appear in more searches. I honestly don't know. One of these days I'll actually look into it and uh, figure out what it all means. But it doesn't take a lot of time. So if you are listening, if you could please subscribe, please like the show, rate and review it. It helps me out. It'll get me a bigger audience. And um, I guess that's that's cool. But, you know, please, if you don't mind doing it, do it. If you mind doing it, that's cool too. Whatever you want to do, but it would mean a lot to me if you could uh, subscribe and rate and review the show. Also, I, I always seem to forget this stuff. It probably would help out if I gave you this information in case you don't know. As far as social media goes, I, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter on a personal account, and the podcast has an account uh, of its own. So if you're on Twitter and you want to give me a follow, I definitely will follow you back as long as you're a real person. Uh, my Twitter account is at Joe underscore Lozito, at J-O-E underscore L-O-Z-I-T-O. The account for the podcast is at Kali Sinbin Pod, at C-O-L-I-S-I-N-B-I-N-P-O-D. Again, on both accounts, if you follow me, I will follow you back as long as you're a real person. Like I said, one of my largest pet peeves in the world, and I have many of them, are people who say, hey, give my account a follow. And then you look at their account, and they have 10,000 followers, and they're following back 57 people. Well, if you're going to ask people to follow you, follow them back. I mean, wh what makes you so special that you want people to follow you, but you won't reciprocate? It never made sense to me. I think it's actually a douche move. And uh, like I said, if you follow me, I'll give you a follow back. If you're on Facebook, as I said, I don't really do Facebook too much anymore. But the page does have a Facebook page, which I, which I will continue to be active on. And the Facebook page for the show is facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. So if you go on there, you can like the page. And then I believe by liking the page, everything I post will appear in your timeline. And again, it's all stuff related to the Islanders and related to Islander enforcers. I'm not going to post anything political because I don't do that anyway. But I'm sure you get enough of that horse shit on your timeline as it is. So if you like the show on Facebook, every now and then you'll probably get a birthday, a picture of a player whose birthday it is, or an update on an upcoming show, or just something related to the Islanders, related to the podcast. Uh, trust me, I'm sure your feeds are a lot like mine, which is why I really stopped using it. It's because all it is is a bunch of political horseshit. No, thank you. Uh, I'm not very active on Instagram, but I think with the Facebook shunning, I'm, I may go on Instagram a little more. Uh, I just have one account on there. It's my personal account, but it's really slowly become the account for the show. It's uh, at Joseph underscore Lozito. So it's similar to the Twitter. It's just my whole name, Joseph, then underscore, then Lozito. And if you follow me, on any of these social media platforms. I'm sure by now you know that I've launched the merchandise store. 
So right now, as I've said before, uh, a man named Joe Marisich, the artistic genius as I call him, designed the logo that you've seen me post on all my social medias and on the, uh, on the links for the podcast. And I always wanted to do merchandise. And um, originally, like I said, I was going to order a bunch of stuff and then do all the shipping and everything from here. Uh, but I decided to go a different route, and I'll give you that website address. And the reason why I went that route is because I was able to offer many more products. And actually, the price is less for you. Uh, originally, for just you know, to give you an example, the least expensive price I could offer you for a T-shirt before shipping was like $31 or $32. And I believe with this company, uh, the shirts are around 26 before shipping. So obviously you still have to pay for shipping, but it, it just by doing this, it'll save you money. And actually they handle everything. They handle shipping and all this stuff. So it's actually a win for everybody. I don't have to ship it. Uh, you're not waiting on me to ship it. They ship everything. And uh, it's lower price for you. And also the variety of products that are available is insane. Uh, I have onesies on there. So if you're thinking about having a baby and you need the final reason, like I said, definitely have the baby. Definitely get them a Coliseum Chronicles onesie. Um, I have onesies. I have children's clothes, like children's T-shirts, children's hoodies. I have um, clothes for ladies, like ladies' tank tops. Uh, I think there might be a specific ladies' T-shirt, but I could be wrong. Um, I have leggings. Now, leggings don't have to just be for ladies. I think they look better on the ladies, but uh, Darren from Fourth Line Voice actually said he was interested in uh, the leggings. And Darren, if you're listening to this, if you want them and you'll wear them even once for a picture, I will buy the leggings for you if you promise to put them on and post a picture. Uh, if you let me know and I will get them to you as soon as I can. But uh, if you're... If you're not like Darren, and I guess not that comfortable with everything, as he apparently is, uh, I think the leggings are mostly for the ladies. Uh, but we have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Um, there's other things like towels. I guess they're like the big towels, beach towels. Uh, there's banners. There's socks. There's 22 separate items with the Coliseum Chronicles logo on them. Like I said, Joe Marisich, he's the one who designed the logo. Um, he, he really is an amazing artist. So if you're interested in the merchandise, I will put a link. Uh, there's always a link on my social media, and I'll put a link in the description for, uh, for the episodes. But if you have a pen handy or you have, um, I guess, is it identic memory? Uh, it's teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. You're not going to remember that. Uh, I mean, you might. I don't know. Not everyone has my old man memory. But in case you don't remember it, you can find the link on my social media, you could, and you can find the link uh, on the show part of your uh, whatever platform you're listening to. I'm going to put the link in there. As I mentioned, Joe Marisich, if you like my logo and you like his other artwork, Joe is very easy to work with, and you can hire him for projects. You can reach Joe at GraphicsJoker on Twitter, at G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can go to loudegg.com. Hit Joe up. He's a great guy. He's very easy to work with, and um, he absolutely 100% knows what he's doing. If you want to listen to other shows similar to the show you're listening to with a little uh, wider uh, subject matter than my, my uh, sticking to the Islander organization, of course, the aforementioned Darren from Fourth Line Voice, 
who I hope takes me up on my offer for the leggings. Um, he has two shows a week. His podcast, like I said, Fourth Line Voice, two shows a week on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, Mondays are the classic episodes. He just released one today for subscribers. He has um, tough Western boy Kent Staniforth. That's a classic episode from his uh, old website, and he releases a new episode on Wednesdays. I don't know who he has coming up this Wednesday. Um, there's Alec. Oh, and also, I'm sorry, for Darren, also check out his uh, YouTube channel, the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Got thousands of fight clips posted. I'm probably on there at least once a day, and you probably are too, even if you don't realize it. You're probably on his channel. Uh, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec Olin Salen. Uh, I believe Alec's latest episode is with uh, minor league enforcer Doug Mann. They, Doug had some really great stories, and I love listening to the minor league guys. You've heard me say that a million times. The stories that they have are tremendous, and this episode was no different. Now, Alec made reference to a bonus episode that was going to be released today, uh, and since I'm recording, I don't know who it is, but I'm definitely going to check that out as soon as I sign off. And if you're on Facebook, Alec is also the founder of the Enforcer Appreciation page. Definitely go there. Give it a like. Um, always good quality content on there. You can interact with uh, a lot of former enforcers and fans like me, fans like yourself. It's a fun group. It's, um, you know, like I said, it, 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 as far as Facebook goes, it's a nice change from all the bullshit that is on most of Facebook. Now, as you know, I've already said I'm doing the top 10 toughest Islander defensemen today. Uh, in a few days, my friend Bobby Longgrass, who does the Bucket Drop podcast, is going to release part one of an episode we just recorded the other day. Now, I, ha I told Bobby right away, I said, we're going to do top 10 Islanders. He's been doing this now. He did top 10 with Darren from Fourth Line Voice of the LNAH Enforcers. He did a top 10 Tampa Bay Lightning Enforcer episode with, with Alec. So he wanted to do a top 10 Islander one with me. And the, the episode I did with Bobby is more along the lines of what I would put out before I started my project. As of right now, in terms of the project I'm working on, I don't have a top 10 for the other positions other than defensemen. So it would have been unfair to me to try to rush through that to put it together for a Bobby show. So I went with the traditional top 10 for Bobby show. And when the time comes that I put out my uh, ultimate top 10, it may not match up, but... Like I said, this is part of the impetus for the project that I'm working on. I wanted to do something a little more scientific. Um, but Bobby and I had a great time. We spoke for hours. Uh, by the time I went upstairs, uh, everyone was sleeping. And, uh, you know, but my wife, I think, expects that at this point. So uh, check out the Bucket Drop podcast as well. Um, one other thing I would like to say before we get started on this. Uh, I have a friend named Jamie Zamelia. And Jamie has listened to every episode of the podcast from episode one. And uh, Jamie is a, a guy who has built a lot of things in the St. Louis area and uh, has worked his ass off for many years. And uh, he announced that he's retiring. So uh, I just want Jamie, I want to wish you best of luck in your retirement. You should also know I'm very jealous. I do hope to get there someday. Uh, got a few more years before I could retire. Uh, but I'm, trust me, I work every day towards that day so uh, I know you've worked your ass off I know you've earned your retirement and uh, I hope it treats you well uh, I hope you're gonna do fishing or whatever it is that you enjoy doing now that you don't have to go to any more sites so uh, best of luck in retirement Jamie and uh, in I hope you enjoy this episode so that brings us to my 
top 10 list of toughest Islanders defensemen. Now, there's a few ground rules that I want you to understand, okay? First things first. When I made this list, especially when it comes to the stats, a lot of times when people do this, they don't count stuff that happens in the preseason. And they don't count stuff that happens in the postseason. Well, the fight you have in the preseason hurt just as much as the fight you have in the regular season. And the fight you have in the playoffs hurt just as much as the ones you have in the regular season. So while they may not count in terms of stats, and I'll bring that up later on when I'm giving you some of the statistics on some of these guys, I counted it. So when I give you uh, total penalty minutes that include postseason, it's because they earn those penalty minutes. And a lot of these guys, like uh, one of the guys had over 100 minutes in his postseason career and had several fights in his postseason career. So how could I not list those? And by the way, um, Clark Gillies, the most fights he ever had in a season or a postseason was actually 79-80. He had seven. That's the postseason where he fought Terry O'Reilly four times. So if I don't count all of those fights, there's even less fights to go on for Clark Gilly. So uh, he's not the reason why I included it. I included it because they happened. So I'll, I'll give you the distinction as I'm going through the list, but I just want you to understand that um, I included that stuff as well because they happened. So, of course, I'm going to include it. So, of course, with the top 10 list, there has to be some honorable mentions. And before I even get to the honorable mentions, I want to get one name out of the way because I feel like if uh, when the comments start coming in, and please do me a favor, hit me up on the Twitter account on my the at uh, Kali Sinbin Pod on Twitter or on the Facebook account for the page. Tell me what you think about my list. Tell me what your list would be. I'd love to hear some feedback uh, because I think uh, the the few people I've I've told the list to or I've sent the list, not that they said it's bulletproof in terms of the order, but they said it's kind of bulletproof in terms of the names. So uh, I'd love to know what your list would look like in comparison to my list. But in the land of criticism, that is social media, I would imagine the first name that would come up, people would ask me, where is Zdeno Chara? And I'd like to remind everybody that uh, the Islanders were Zdeno Chara's first organization. And while he did have, I believe, 15 or so fights for the Islanders, he wasn't very good at the time. So, and again, the wins and losses don't always count for everything, obviously. I'll be the first one to, uh, you know, stand up for the guys about wins and losses. But based on what he's done with Ottawa and Boston, his Islander stuff, he can't, his Islander stuff doesn't hold a candle to any of that stuff. He was still, you know, growing into his size and he was game a lot of the time, but I didn't include him because... He definitely didn't warrant a top 10 spot, in my opinion. And to be honest with you, when you hear my honorable mentions, I don't even think he warranted an honorable mention because I think it would, you know, with some of the guys in the honorable mention, they played a long time for this organization. And, you know, Chara, listen, I wish Chara was still an Islander. The guy's still playing. Thanks, Mike Milbury. Um, you know, I would wish he was a career Islander because had he spent his entire career with the Islanders, he would definitely be in the top 10 based on what he's done with Ottawa, with Boston. But based these lists are based strictly on Islander performances. So there are some guys on this list that you might think I have too high or too low. Uh, but, you know, and I'll get into that with some of these guys that 
played for a lot of years and had really great careers. But if you just take take the Islander portions of it, they wouldn't be as high because they didn't play as long for the Islanders. And someone like Zdeno Chara, who's a Hall of Fame defenseman, to me doesn't warrant a spot in the top ten, doesn't warrant an honorable mention because I have a few of them. And I just, I just figure if I'm going to nip this in the bud now because I know the first thing people are going to say is, where's Zdeno Chara? If you don't believe me, go back on YouTube, put in Chara's name, watch the Islander fights, you'll see. The guy is, listen, like I said, the guy's a Hall of Famer. I just couldn't in good conscience put Chara in when I have these other guys either in the top 10 or in my honorable mentions. All right, hold on. Okay, so we have four honorable mentions. First honorable mention, I don't even have to go into it. I'm going to say this guy's name if you're an Islander fan. And you're going to smile. And that's Darius Kasparaitis. Now, Darius didn't fight. Darius had a handful of fights in his whole Islander career. And they were probably a result of uh, a hit that he laid on either the actual guy he fought or one of his teammates. And they came in and they ended up dropping the gloves. It was probably a case where there wasn't a stoppage in play where they could get someone on the ice to fight for him. But... Darius Kasparaitis, as far as toughness goes, in terms of the way he played, the kid always makes me smile when I think about him. Like I said, fighting-wise, he doesn't warrant a mention on this list. But hitting-wise and what he did as an Islander, um, especially against the Rangers, especially against Pittsburgh, uh, what he did against those teams, he has to make the list as an honorable mention. I don't have stats for him because... Stats, in terms of the stats I'm going to give you for the rest of the guys, they don't tell the story for Darius. So there's no point in giving them to you. So just take the name, Darius Kasparaitis, smile, and now we're going to move on to the uh, to actually the four honorable mentions I had. And then I said, I have to include Darius. So Darius Kasparaitis is my first honorable mention. Second honorable mention is Jerry Hart. Now, I don't know how many people... On, that listen to this podcast are my age or older. So you may not have seen anything uh, of Jerry Hart. I don't think there's a ton of, st- of his stuff on YouTube. If you have some old VHS tapes or converted them to DVD, you might have it. Um, Jerry Hart played seven seasons with the Islanders. He's an original Islander. He was on the original 72-73 team, played 47 games that year, had 158 penalty minutes. The original Islanders started in 1972, played right through to the season before they won their first cup. He played through to 78-79. He's 10th all-time on the team at penalty minutes. He has 783 penalty minutes, including playoffs. He's had 488 games played, 806 penalty minutes, and 24 fights. So Jerry Hart led the team in penalty minutes twice. He led the team, like I said, the first year with 158, and again, that was only in 47 games. And then a couple seasons later, 74-75, he had 143 penalty minutes. So he led the team twice. His season high in fights was that second year that he led the team in fights was six. Now, keep in mind, when, when Jerry Hart played, the Islanders, were, they had Bobby Nystrom was there, Gary Howard was there, uh, a few seasons later, Clark Gillies was there. And it wasn't as specialized as it became. So... Jerry Hart's season high in fights was six, but everybody fought for themselves back then. I mean, maybe Mike Bossy 
never fought or uh well butch goring came after jerry left but those are my, my two usual islander examples of guys who didn't fight but everybody fought you know as i said uh as i've said and people who watched them play uh a guy like bob Bourne, he never gets credit for how tough he was because everyone remembers how fast he was and what a good player he was but when bob Bourne had to drop the gloves he did pretty well and uh back in the 70s and you know early to mid 80s everybody f- kind of fought their own battle so jerry hart didn't necessarily need to fight for some of his teammates because they would defend themselves so that's why maybe his season high uh of six his career high in a season of six isn't very high uh now that, that's probably the reason why i would think not that he was reluctant because he fought i mean listen this is just some of the guys i noted that he fought uh jerry butler with the rangers terry o'reilly with the bruins uh, Moose DuPont with the Flyers. You're going to find when we talk about these older Islanders, there's a lot of Flyers on their list because of the rivalry. Uh, Danny Garrett, underrated scrapper with Buffalo. He fought Mel Bridgman three times, Dave Hoyda once, Willie Plett once, uh, and Brian Sutter, who appears on some of these lists too, believe it or not, even though they're in a different conference. So, um, like I said, Jerry Hart, he's the kind of player you need when you're starting a franchise, especially back then. Who knows, You know, like I said right now, who the hell knows what you need? I guess you just need fancy skaters and no balls or anything. But um, but Jerry Hart was was one of the perfect players. Uh, you know, like a um, not a, I'm looking for the right word, but he's sort of like um, he's a foundation player in a sense where you have Jerry Hart on your on your defense, so you know you have a, a good amount of toughness right there. Not a heavyweight killer or anything like that, but you know he's not going to shy away from anybody. So. Because of what Jerry Hart did, he's getting an honorable mention from me. Second honorable mention is someone that, um, again, if we were doing a top 10 list for his main team, the Washington Capitals, someone who everybody will remember, Brendan Witt, as a Washington Capital, even though he played for a couple of other teams. uh, Brendan Witt is probably top two or three Capitals defensemen of all time. On the Islanders, he doesn't quite break into my top 10, but he does warrant an honorable mention. Uh, Brendan Witt played four seasons with the Islanders from 06-07 to 2009-10. He's 44th all-time. Oh, I didn't tell you. Jerry Hart is 10th all-time in penalty minutes for the Islanders. Brendan Witt is 44th all-time in penalty minutes for the Islanders with 321. So Brendan Witt, uh, he played 247 games for the Islanders. He had 321 penalty minutes. And 15 fighting majors. Um, and I'll get into probably his most famous fight in a moment. Uh, Brendan Witt led the team in penalty minutes one time in 2006-2007. Uh, had 131 penalty minutes. His season high in fights was 5 in 06-07. So if, if you've watched the way hockey has progressed, um, you know, and especially for a guy like Brendan Witt, who's going to contribute more than fighting, uh, it, it makes sense. So, uh, you know, a guy's going to take a regular shift. He has a lot of responsibility you can't have him fighting all the time i guess so um, his season high for the islanders and fights was five some of the guys that brendan witt fought uh ben eager of the flyers he fought scott walker of the hurricanes twice david clarkson of the devils twice uh milan lucic of the bruins he fought him but uh this is sort of like the stuff of legend now his toughest opponent may have been an suv in 2009 while the Islanders were on the road in Philadelphia. On the way to the morning skate, Brendan Witt was crossing the street 
uh, outside the hotel and a, and a gold SUV made an illegal turn. So Brendan Witch is walking. He's going to get his co morning coffee. And this truck makes an illegal turn. Witt sees him out of the corner of his eye. He tries to jump on the hood, I guess, tries to roll, uh, you know, to, I guess, break the impact. Uh, and the SUV hits him. And uh, to quote Brendan Witt in the paper at the time, he said, I did a nice roll and dismount. I was okay. So the driver stopped. Witt, I think, had some choice words for him. But ultimately, he was okay. Uh, he refused medical attention. When the dust settled, Witt got his coffee, went to the arena, participated in the morning skate, and of course, you know he was in the lineup that evening. Uh, I do not have word on the condition of the SUV after the collision, my guess would be, probably took more damage than Brendan Witt. I'm going to take Witt in that matchup. So uh, that's, uh, that's probably the most famous fight that Brendan Witt had, uh, or incident, let's say it wasn't really a battle, but uh, during his time with the Islanders. So uh, Brendan Witt gets my honorable mention there. My next honorable mention is Gord Deneen. Now, Gord Deneen is someone who I had always appreciated as a player because Gord Deneen played on some pretty good Islander teams. Uh, he wasn't a regular back then, but he got time with some pretty good teams. And then he transitioned into the teams that weren't so good, but always had some decent players. Like, you know, he, his last season with the Islanders was 87-88 before he came back for a few games in 94-95. And if you go to Hockey Database or uh, Elite Prospects, whatever it is, and you look at the rosters from the, from those times, Gord Deneen played with some pretty good players. There was nothing fancy about Gord's game. He was just a physical stay-at-home defenseman. Um, never looked for accolades. And uh, he was just solid. He was just a steady defenseman. But he also would drop the gloves when he had to. So Gord Deneen uh, is 33rd all-time in penalty minutes for the Islanders with 380 penalty minutes, including playoffs. He's played 306 games, 434 penalty minutes, and 27 fights. His season high in fights with the Islanders was eight, which he, uh, he fought eight times in 86-87. Some of the guys that he fought, Gary Rissling on Pittsburgh, Nick Fatiu, of course, if you're in New York, you know full well about Nick Fatiu. Uh, Joe Patterson and Dave Brown both were with the Flyers at the time. Fights you probably have seen, uh, I would say if you've, if you've seen any Gordonine fights, it's probably one of the two fights he had with Wendell Clark because that was a young Wendell Clark. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys didn't do very well against the young Wendell Clark, but you may have seen those. He fought a young, physical, violent Wendell Clark twice. Uh, he fought Tiger Williams when he was a member of the Kings. Al Secord with the Hawks, Don Knockbauer, Philadelphia, Rod Buskis of Pittsburgh. So one thing you'll know, if you talk to anybody who played with Gord Deneen or Gord Deneen coached them, um, he is universally respected as a hard-nosed player and a really smart hockey guy and uh, just someone that you know you can count on. So um, I don't really have a spectacular Gord Deneen anecdote or anything like that, but to me that really says all you need to know about Gord Deneen. Solid defenseman, steady defenseman, physical, and you can rely on him. And um, that's why Gordonine, unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, he, he gets an honorable mention, but he's just outside my top 10. So those are my honorable mentions. So now we're going to start with our top 10. So number 10 on my list is Matt Karkner. Matt Karkner played two seasons, 2012 
2012-13 and 2013-14. So just those two seasons. Played 75 games over those two seasons. He's 88th all-time in penalty minutes with 195 penalty minutes. Um, 14 fighting majors as a member of the Islanders. Um, he led the team in penalty minutes one season, 2013-14. He had 149 penalty minutes. And that season was also his season high in fighting majors. He had nine that year. Um, amongst the guys that he fought in uh, of those 14 fights, uh, he fought Milan Lucic of the Bruins, Fraser McLaren twice, uh, when uh, Fraser McLaren of Toronto twice, John Scott of Buffalo twice, Chris Barch fought Barch once with New Jersey, once with Florida, Jay Rosehill of the Flyers, Jared Bowl of Columbus. Um, Karkner... He was basically at the end of his career with the Islanders. Still very effective, though. And he tag-teamed with uh, Eric Bolton, also at the end of his career. But you really wouldn't know it. I mean, uh, those guys were those guys were a lot of fun. You know, uh, they, you know, obviously they played as the game was changing. But it didn't really seem to matter to either one of those guys. They, they were playing like, you know, it was 10 years before that. And that is really what stands out the most to me about both of those guys during their Islander tenure. They didn't really care that the game had changed. Uh, if they had to change things around, they wouldn't mind scrapping guys. And if uh, a guy tried to take advantage of one of their teammates, they had no problem going in and exacting revenge. Of course, for Bolton, it was a little difficult to get revenge on Tom Wilson, but I'm not going to go into that right now because Tom Wilson didn't want to fight him. But I'm not going to go into that now. I'm going to wait for when I interview Bolt and also when I do the uh, the wing portion of the top 10 that incident or incidents may come up about how Tom Wilson didn't want to fight Eric Bolton but again I'm not going to get into that uh, Matt Karkner when he was done playing now Matt Karkner is uh, you know a lot of <laughs> as you've seen over the years with a lot of enforcer types and physical defenseman types what do they do when they're done playing they go into coaching so Matt Karkner was assigned to Bridgeport as a player and when he retired immediately became an assistant coach so for all you people out there that think these guys are stupid or they don't know jack shit or they're neanderthals or knuckle draggers you're an idiot okay a lot of these guys are very intelligent very smart and they know the game of hockey inside and out and that's why matt karkner went from player to assistant coach right away and i wouldn't be surprised in a few years if he's got a head coaching job somewhere uh, maybe I don't know what the progression is if you go from assistant coach in the minors as your first job to NHL or maybe he takes a job in uh, junior as a head coach but if Matt Karkner ever has the title head coach next to his name I'm not going to be surprised but for what he did as an Islander for the punishment he laid on guys as an Islander Matt Karkner has earned my number 10 spot as the 10th toughest Islander defenseman of all time number nine Brian McCabe it, you know, when you think about all the crappy years that this organization has had, it seems like Brian McCabe played here centuries ago. I mean, aside from the fact that he played with that disgusting fisherman jersey, when I think back to McCabe's tenure here, it just seems like forever ago. Uh, Caber played three seasons here on Long Island, 95-96 to 97-98. He, uh, he accrued 400 66 penalty minutes, which ranks him 24th all-time. Uh, he accrued those penalty minutes in 220 games, and he had 26 fighting majors. Caber was very durable, very reliable defenseman when he was here. He barely mi ever missed a game. So um, that's one thing I will say for a guy who played as physical as he did, you could almost always 
pencil him in the lineup. He was very durable. Like I said, 466 PIMS in 220 games, 26 fights. Um, Caber's season high for fights. Caber's high for fights in a season. I'm not going to keep <laughs> keep making the same mistake. Uh, twice in two of his three seasons, he had nine fights. Um, it looks like, uh, oh God, what was it? 96, 97, 97, 98. He had nine fights in each, each of those seasons. Now, Brian McCabe was a regular defenseman, but he didn't fight. He fought other guys. He fought Hall of Famers. He fought legitimate tough guys. Some of the guys he fought, Troy Crowder in L.A., Brendan Shanahan, who was a Red Wing at the time, uh, fought Matt Barnaby with Buffalo twice, fought Keith Primo. I think he fought Wayne Primo, too. I didn't note that. Uh, fought Dan Cordick, fought Grant Marshall of Dallas, uh, fought Scott Mellenby twice uh, with the Panthers. And he's also the youngest captain in Islanders history. Now, at the time, I was 25, 26. I'm like, wow, this is really cool that this kid is named captain of a hockey team. But he's 22 years old. And they had plenty of guys on the team that might have been better for him. I don't know what it does to a 22-year-old to name him captain of an organization. But to his credit, I think he did a great job. I just think the name I'm going to mention now, and he's someone you're going to hear later on the list, uh, Brent Severn was on the team at the time. And Sevy is a guy that uh, was very familiar with wearing letters during his career. And uh, he's a natural-born leader. I think Sevy would have been a perfect pick to be captain. Um, you know, Mick Vakoda was here still. There were plenty of veterans on the team at the time that may have been a better choice for captain given the, the way the team was because to make Brian McCabe captain of a team that is not very good, that's probably a lot of pressure for a 22-year-old. But like I said, Brian McCabe handled it very well. I, and I think I, I would like to say that uh, it, during his time here, I think Brent Severn really took him under his wing. Sevy had been through the wars in the Western League, like like Caber was. He was a Western Leaguer. Uh, but Sevy had paid his dues in the minors. He had seen everything there is to see in the game. And uh, aside from the on-ice stuff, I think Sevy really took him under his wing with a lot of the off-ice stuff too. And I think that really had a lot to do with uh, Brian McCabe's growth as a player and a professional. So, um, but, uh, you know, I love Brian McCabe. I'd love to get him on the show sometime, and uh, maybe that'll happen. But um, that, uh, for everything he did for the Islanders, Brian McCabe gets the number nine spot on my list of top ten toughest Islanders defensemen. Number eight is someone who you've heard me mention a lot. He's a very good friend, and he's someone that one day I want on this show. But he's someone that has helped me a lot in terms of reconnecting with people, and I owe him a lot, and that's Dean Chenouth. Dean Chenouth gets the number eight spot on my top ten toughest Islanders defenseman. Dino played seven seasons with the Islanders from 1988-89 to 95-96. He's 31st all-time in Islanders penalty minutes with 408 penalty minutes. Played 147 games, 408 penalty minutes, 21 fighting majors. He had eight fights in 1993-94, which is his career high in a season with the Islanders. Um, some of the guys Dean has fought, or Dean fought with the Islanders, obviously you know about the Rick Tockett fight where uh, Dean's eye, he, his eye was seriously injured, um, came back from that, you know, tough as ever. Uh, he fought Rick Tockett, he fought Jay Miller with the Kings, 
Troy Millette with the Rangers, Chris Nyland of the Bruins twice, uh, Darren McCarty of the Red Wings. If you've seen a, a Dean Chanel fight picture, it's probably that picture where he's fighting Darren McCarty and uh, there's blood everywhere. I think it's Darren's blood. Uh, that's a great picture of Dino fighting Darren McCarty. Two tough guys there. Uh, Randy McKay twice with the Devils. Mike Peluso with the Devils. Alan May with Washington. Ken Danico with the Devils. Shane Corson of St. Louis. Francois LaRue of the Penguins. And obviously, everyone knows how big Frankie LaRue is. Of all of Dean's fights, the one thing he did that will always, when you say the name Dean Chanel, the one thing I will always remember about Dean Chanel is not really a fight because the guy didn't really fight him. Uh, there was a game at the Coliseum against L.A., and Eric Lacroix hit Dennis Vasky from behind, and Vasky's head basically hit, I, I guess you'd call it the lip, hit the top of the boards, that edge on the boards where, I guess, where the glass meets the boards, and that 90-degree angle, that's where Vasky's head hit the boards. And it, Vasky was out for a while, I think, and Shanauth, uh, just on instinct, I'm sure he didn't even think about it, saw that he came in and grabbed Lacroix and took care of him. And um, to me, that's just the type of player Dean Shanauth was. It's the type of teammate Dean Shanauth was. Um, you know, I've extolled Dean's virtues before. Uh, tremendous hockey mind. Uh, has coached at every level. Uh, head coach, assistant coach. He's currently an assistant coach with Carolina. Uh, no reason why when openings come up he shouldn't be considered for a head coaching job. So, um, but that incident with L.A., with Eric Lacroix is the one thing that will always stand out for me because it was just, I remember watching the game and, and I just remember, you know, just seeing the hit and it was the kind of thing where if you picture the hit, if you're watching the game in the crowd, it's just like this collective, oh, just goes up over the crowd. And then all of a sudden everyone's cheering because here comes Dean Chanel to take care of business. And, um, you know, I, I actually think Dean's best season of fighting happened after he left the Islanders. Uh, one of his seasons with the Bruins, I thought he was really, really, I thought he had a great season with the Bruins. And that's not saying he didn't have great seasons with the Islanders, but I think everything clicked this one season with the Bruins where he was just, he was just, you know, doing very well. Um, but as far as his Islander stuff goes, um, that incident with the Kings is always going to stand out for me uh, because, like I said, it shows what a teammate he is. And he did, he did what you're supposed to do. Like in today's NHL, he didn't look around at the refs and go, are you going to call a penalty or should I let Toronto handle this? You know, should there be a phone call? Dean Schnauth just did what men do. His teammate was basically sabotaged. He was hit from behind, maimed, and Dean Schnauth just said, I'm going to go in and fuck this guy up. And that's what he did. And that's what I'll always remember about Dean Schnauth's tenure on the island. Aside from the fact that, you know, we became friends and um, he's a terrific guy. And uh, he helps me out a lot, and he never, ever says no to me uh, when I ask him for help. So uh, he's a great guy. He's number eight on my list of New York Islanders' toughest defensemen. Now, you heard me allude to the fact that there are certain guys on this list that if I did a career thing, they would be higher on the list. And my next two guys are those two guys. Um, they had short tenures with the Islanders, short but effective tenures with the Islanders and their careers as a whole don't necessarily represent their short tenures because they both had amazing careers and if you do a collective thing they're probably higher up on certain lists but because their their tenures were both less than two full seasons 
Uh, that's why they are where they are on the list. So uh, we're going to go number seven, Brent Severin. Uh, parts of two seasons with the Islanders, uh, 94-95 and 95-96. Seve is 80th all-time in penalty minutes for the Islanders, uh, 214 penalty minutes. Uh, 84 games, 214 penalty minutes, and 12 fights over those 84 games. Um, Seve did lead the team in penalty minutes in 95-96 with 180. He was tied for the team lead in fights that season, uh, 95-96 with 10. And, of course, if he had 12 fights with the Islanders and he had 10 fights in a season, that was his season high with the Islanders, 10 fights. Uh, I think everybody remembers Seve's fighting debut with the Islanders, fighting Chris Simon, a prime Chris Simon with Quebec, fighting him twice in Quebec and doing very well in both fights. Uh, fights that probably a lot of people didn't think he was going to do as well in if you don't really know a lot about Brent Severn. Uh, I wasn't surprised, and people who know him probably weren't surprised. But, uh, I mean, just, it's the kind of, they were the kind of fights where I'm watching them in my living room going, holy shit, this is fucking great. He's doing very well against Chris Simon. Uh, and those were his first two fights with the Islanders. Uh, like I said, the two-fight game in Quebec against Chris Simon. Also fought Ty Domi with Toronto. Todd Ewan with Anaheim, Mark Tenorti twice with the Capitals, and we touched on that on the episode that Seve was on, uh, why he was so pissed off. Uh, Dennis Vial twice with Ottawa, Alex Stoyanov, Vancouver, Chris Tamer, Pittsburgh, Sean O'Donnell, L.A., and Dave Roche, Pittsburgh. So those are his 12 fights uh, with the Islanders. Now, Seve has had, he had a wonderful career. He's a Stanley Cup champion with Dallas. Um, and now, and ever since he's retired, he's still involved in the game. Uh, he does a lot of things in the Dallas area. He's had, uh, he's had his own uh, school once, Severn Sports. He does certain things now. I don't know if, it's an, if, if he, uh, he teaches clinics, I think. Uh, always working with kids. So regardless of where Seve is on this list, um, you know, I'm sure he'll give me shit for it, though. That's the kind of guy he is. But um, Seve is always taking kids first one of the things I like the best about him uh, always teaching children but he's also had gigs in the NHL he's been a radio color commentator uh, he's done TV work for Dallas I think he still does it so um, and how could he not do television he has the money maker he knows what I'm talking about and um, Seve is a really good friend I'm glad he was an Islander even though it was a very short time uh, it was too short but um, you know, like I said, if you listened to the episode, you know why it was short, and uh, he got off the island none too soon, based on who was in charge. But um, even though it was uh, only 84 games worth, Brent Severin is seventh all time on my top 10 toughest Islanders defensemen. Number six, the Colonel Brian Kern. Now, Brian Kern, a lot of people think I'm crazy that I like this guy so much. But I love the Colonel. I love this guy. Okay. Now, I honestly don't know how you can't like Brian Kern. But let's re recap a little bit about his Islander career. He played two seasons, 1986-87 and parts of 87-88. Only 90 games. It seems like he played a lot more than 90 games. But only 90 games, 424 penalty minutes, 23 fights. His 424 penalty minutes rank him 29th all-time. So the guy's 29th all-time in penalty minutes playing 90 games. That 
86-87 season, 356 penalty minutes. Uh, also, 19 fights that year, tied for the team lead. And obviously, if he had 23 fights and he had 19 in one season, that is his season high. So let me just rattle off some of Brian Curran's opponents. Um, Brian Curran fought everybody when he was an Islander, and we'll get into that. But let me let me give you some of these names. Uh, Larry Playfair of the Kings, he fought him twice. Rick Tockett of the Flyers, he fought him twice. Gord Donnelly of Quebec. Kevin McClelland of Edmonton. Marty McSorley of Edmonton. Dave Brown, Jay Miller, Joey Koser, Bob Probert, Craig Berube, Willie Plett. He fought all these guys, okay? Brian Curran, to me, is is was the perfect bridge. He came the end of guys like Gillies Nystrom. They were at the end of their career. Um, then you plug in a Brian Curran who had some good seasons with Boston. And then when you trade a Brian Curran, that ushers in the Mick Vakoda era. A little bit after that, Kenny Baumgartner comes aboard. Um, and honestly... I don't think you could have had a better guy at that time than Brian Curran. But I'm going to tell you what I like the best about Brian Curran. Brian Curran, and, and you've heard me say this about Mick Vakoda, where Mick Vakoda played with the same Western League attitude as he had in the Western League and as he had in the American League. He brought that same attitude to the NHL. And no matter how many seasons he played in the NHL, it, he never changed. Okay, He was the same guy. And that's part of the reason why I love Mick Vakoda. And Brian Curran was the same way. All right, Brian Curran, he came from the Bruins, you know, uh, big bad Bruins, played with them, played with Jay Miller, um, came to the Islanders. And now when he's coming from a Bruins team where he had a lot of help to an Islanders team where he didn't have a lot of help. So Brian Curran is now the new sheriff in town. And he's also the new sheriff in town as a defenseman. So that presents some issues. If you have to be the main fighter on a team and you're a defenseman, you, have, you can't just drop the gloves whenever you want. It's not the same as if you're a fourth liner. You have to be more selective. Even with that, 356 penalty minutes, a record that will never be broken. Brian Curran has an Islander record that will never be broken. The closest guy that, the guy that came closest in recent years was Zenon Kanopka, and I think he had 307. He was still basically 50 penalty minutes away from Brian Kern. That season, that 86-87 season for me, was it was a lot of fun watching Kern play because Brian Kern, similar to Vakoda, played like a... Spe I mean, it was just... It was his rink. And Brian Kern didn't beat everybody up, but it didn't matter. He played like he owned the rink. He didn't care who you were. He was going to rough you up, and if he had to fight you, he'd fight you. And if he didn't have to fight you, it didn't matter. He was a physical defenseman. He was going to crush you in front of the net, okay? One of my most favorite memories of Brian Kern is there were, and he was, oh, man, was he great against the Rangers. I mean, it was, he just, I don't think Brian Kern ever took a shift off. But against the Rangers, he was just, and maybe, again, it's the Islander fan in me, um, multiplying things against the Rangers because obviously you watch the Rangers not so much anymore because it's really not a rivalry but uh, when there was a rivalry guys like Brian Kern guys like Mick Vakoda, guys like Gillies and Nystrom and Severin and Howitt and Bomber and, and all these guys you watch them extra closely and Brian Kern there was a game where he's on the bench 
there's a scrum going on. Um, and he's on the bench, and he's standing up watching what's going on. And Ron Duguay, of all people, comes over. And I, he looks like he's starting to chirp at Kern, which in and of itself is funny. And Kern's just standing there giving him the oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And at one point, he just sits on the, be- he sits on the bench, and he just leans. It's like he leans his face. He holds, he's got his gloves on the top of his stick, and he leans his face there like, like he's really interested in hearing what Ron Duguay has to say. It, it's not as, obviously, maybe I'm not doing it justice, but if you can find the clip, it's just fucking hilarious that here's a guy that could snap Ron Duguay in two. And Ron Duguay's coming over and chirping the toughest guy on the bench. And Curran's just like listening like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And again, I'm not doing it justice. But if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is one of the, the funnier things I'll always remember from Brian Curran's tenure here. But Brian Curran is a guy I'm so happy he was an Islander. That season was very memorable. I was not happy when they traded him to Toronto. I wasn't happy at all, to be honest with you. I love that guy. And uh, I probably, uh, you know, let's do it this way. I don't really buy jerseys too much anymore. I would 100% buy a 34 current jersey and wear it to games. No problem. That's how much I like this guy. So um, that memorable season sticks with me to this day. And uh, Colonel, if you're listening, thank you. You were awesome with the Islanders. That season, phenomenal. And the Colonel is another example of a guy who went on to coach. He coached many teams in many different leagues. Uh, I don't think he's coaching at the moment, but it might. unless he doesn't want to coach anymore, he could probably get another job in an instant. So um, here's to the Colonel, number six on my list of top ten toughest Islander defensemen. So now we're entering the top five zone, and maybe you're wondering, have you heard your guy yet? And if you're an old school guy, pardon me, Okay. If you're an old school guy, you're wondering, where's Gordy Lane? Well, Gordy Lane is number five. And Gordy Lane was one guy, he's the one guy who actually has been, I said I had three incarnations of this list. Gordy Lane was actually the guy that bounced around the most. And when I, when I did my research and I did my stats and everything else, I really I had to give him I had to give him credit. Um, and I'm not saying Gordy Lane is a tougher guy than anyone from six through ten or honorable mention. Gordy Lane takes a backseat to nobody though. Okay, what what brings puts Gordy Lane at the number five position was the fact that he's tough as nails, didn't take a backseat to anybody, never took a backward step, and played six seasons with the team, 345 games, and you never hear Gordy Lane's name when they talk about the cup teams because you always hear about, you know, the, the four, main four guys and, you know, you hear you hear um, Trotty, Bossy, Podvin, Billy Smith. Then you hear, like, Gillies, Nystrom, Kenny Morrow, um, you know, uh, Butch Goring. You hear all these guys, but it's the lunch pail guys like Gordy Lane, uh, like Dave Langevin, let's say, that really meant a lot to those teams. And if you ask any of those dynasty guys how much Gordy Lane meant to those teams, I'm sure that I'm obviously they'll agree with me, but they'll probably be a, uh, much more eloquent than I am, and they can give you more specifics because they lived it with him. But Gordy Lane is to me an unsung hero 
of those dynasty teams. The guy has four Stanley Cup rings with the Islanders. Um, so Gordy Lane played six seasons, as I said, from 79-80 to 1984-85. He is 16th all-time in penalty minutes with 614 penalty minutes. Now, now Gordy is the guy, uh, one of the main reasons why, yeah, fucking right, I'm going to include playoff penalty minutes here for these guys. Gordy Lane had, you know, I said he's 16th all-time in penalty minutes with 614. When you add his playoff penalty minutes, that number jumps up to 760. Gordy Lane led the team in playoff penalty minutes twice. Two of those cup teams, Gordy Lane led the team in penalty minutes. That was the first cup team, 79-80, had 85 penalty minutes in the playoffs. And 81-82 had 61 penalty minutes. So his 614 PIMs rank him 16th all time. But when you add all his playoff PIMs, that jumps up to 760. Those count, you know, those count, and they count in a big way because you're playing for that big shiny cup. So, uh, of course, I'm going to count those. Gordy's career high in a season in fights were 10. That Stanley Cup season, 79-80, he had 10 fights. Now, some of these names that I'm going to rattle off to you, you might know some, you might not know some, but I'm not, everybody I'm listening to here right now, tough, tough fucking guys. Ron DeLorme, you might not be familiar with him. Google him, YouTube him. Ron DeLorme was with Colorado, fought him three times. Kim Claxon, Pittsburgh. Wally Weir, Quebec. Paul Stewart, you know Paul Stewart. He played, tough guy. He fought Paul Stewart when he was with Quebec. Al Secord of the Bruins. Lindy Ruff, Buffalo. Brian Sutter of the Blues fought him three times. The toughest of the Sutter brothers fought Brian Sutter. Gordy Lane fought him three times. Paul Holmgren, Flyers, you all know him. Chris Nyland, everybody knows Knuckles. Kevin McClellan, Edmonton, fought all those guys. So Gordy Lane definitely did not pick his spots. He fought other guys. Those were just the biggest name guys that he fought. And, of course, as I said, four-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, he's also a Manitoba Hockey Hall of Famer. So um, while I feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves for those on those Cup teams, and obviously it's because of his teammates, being some, he played with some legendary guys, but um, the hockey world recognizes Gordy Lane. Like I said, he's a Manitoba Hockey Hall of Famer. And uh, how many guys on any list have four Stanley Cup rings? As long as it's not a list of Islanders or you know Canadians from the, their dynasty years. But Gordy Lane, four Stanley Cup rings, not too shabby. Um, like I said, tough as nails, a rock back there on defense for those dynasty teams. Gordy Lane, number five on my list of top 10 toughest Islanders defensemen. That brings us to number four. Maybe a guy that you've forgotten about because he's, this is Islanders are where he started his career. And I think most people probably know him better as a Vancouver Canuck. But Gerald Diddick was tough as nails. Tough as nails, Gerald Diddick played six seasons with the Islanders from 1984-85 to 1989-90, where he actually was traded to Montreal. I believe he was traded for Craig Ludwig. I didn't like that trade. I mean, Ludwig, Ludwig is a fantastic player, but of course, I, I want Gerald Diddick on the team. I think he played one season in Montreal, then he went on to Vancouver. Uh, Gerald Diddick is 17th all-time in penalty minutes for the Islanders with 580 penalty minutes. Including his playoff penalty minutes, well, his, his total stats, 
334 games, 657 penalty minutes, and 33 fighting majors. Uh, Gerald Diddick led the team in playoff penalty minutes in 1987-88 with 42. He led the team in playoff fighting majors twice. 86-87, he had three. 87-88, he had two. Uh, his season high, his career high in fights with the Islanders, he hit the number twice. He had seven. 87-88 and 89-90, he had seven fights in each of those years. Some of the guys he fought. Now, Gerald Diddick, again, he's, he's someone that was always active in the uh, Islander-Ranger rivalry. He always seemed to come up big in those games. He, I don't know. Like, I guess it's not just the fans. I mean, I guess the players uh, back then, like I said, when it was actually a rivalry, I mean, these players had to get juiced up. I know, you know, the line would say, no, you, you take every game as the same, but I'm sure these guys took these, these Ranger games pretty serious back then. Um, so some of the guys that, that Diddick fought, Dwight Schofield of, of the Blues, Rick Tockett fought him twice, Don Jackson, Ed Kastelik, the Washington version of Eddie Kastelik, uh, also Scott Stevens fought him twice with Washington, uh, Gord Donnelly of Quebec, Joe Patterson of the Rangers, Al Secord of Toronto, uh, Rudy Poshek of the Rangers, a young Rudy, uh, fought him, Dave Maley of the Devils, uh, Mark Jansons of the Rangers, Joey Koser of the Red Wings, and he fought a young Ken Baumgartner of the purple and gold version of Bomber uh, in L.A. So you look at that list of guys, Gerald Diddick doesn't pick his spots. And Gerald Diddick was also one of the most physical guys in front of the net that the Islanders have ever had. Uh, Diddick was also, he was also on the ice during the playoff brawl, which, you know, obviously most people remember uh, Bomber skating in a circle. Like, I get goosebumps talking about it all the time. Uh, you got Bomber and Mick were the, the two main players for the Islanders. Uh, Diddick was also involved in that. So, um, you know, like I said, Diddick is kind of a guy that sort of goes under the radar. But um, really tough, really tough guy. Could play the game, too. Uh, you know, again, you know, steady defenseman, solid defenseman. He would crush guys in front of the net. Fight, obviously, fight all the big names. And uh, had a great career. Like I said, I think most people probably remember him as a Canuck um, but he started with the Islanders I'm happy that he did and um, you know again and he's one of these guys that started obviously with Springfield and you know how I feel about guys that played in Springfield I love him but uh, you know Gerald Diddick number four uh, if you forgot about him I'm glad I could remind you about him so Gerald Diddick number four now number three number two and number one I don't think you can I don't think anyone is going to jump in ahead of these three guys based on the way the game is played now. Now, you could say that you want to switch some of the names around in the top three. That's fine. But in terms of anyone entering the top three, I don't think you're going to see that, obviously, with the way the game's played. Right now, The even the toughest defenseman the Islanders have is Scott Mayfield. I actually love the kid. I think, I think for, for the way the game is played now, and the way that these guys' hands are tied right now, I think a guy like Scott Mayfield, you can't really ask him to do anything more than what he's done. So I love Scott Mayfield. Obviously, he didn't make my list, but he's a guy that hopefully stays with the Islanders. He's, he's usually one of the first guys when there's trade rumors. Uh, Mayfield's usually one of the names that you hear right away. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope he plays 10, 11, 12 seasons with the Islanders. Um, but like I said, he's 
really the only physical presence right now for the Islanders on the blue line. Uh, so I'm pretty confident that my top three will, oh, well, no one's going to enter that top three. And, and, and if we're being honest, nobody's probably breaking the top 10 uh, with the way the league is going right now. But you can, you can argue uh, four through 10 and maybe some of my honorable mentions. I'm pretty sure we're all going to agree on my top three, even if you have them in different order. So I just want to preface that. So my number three guest of the show, Mr. Richard Pilon. So Richie Pilon, uh, I smile when I think of Richie because, you know, again, Richie's a guy that I wish would have been a career Islander. He wasn't. Um, but I have so many fond memories of him. And the reason why I have so many fond memories of him is because he played 12 seasons, 12 seasons with the Islanders. And played from 1988-89 to 1998-99. He is second all-time in penalty minutes on the team. And again, this is regular season penalty minutes with uh, 1,575. Um, several hundred penalty minutes behind Mick Fakoda. I say that because I know they're, they're buddies. Even though they both played the same amount of regular season games, um, Mick is 300-plus uh, penalty, minute, penalty minutes ahead of him. But uh, being number two lifetime in penalty minutes for any hockey team is pretty impressive and 1575 is a pretty good number but when you take into account playoffs that bumps Richie up to 524 games 1625 penalty minutes and 73 fighting majors for Richie Pilon so 73 fights not too shabby and um, we'll get into his eye injury in a few minutes uh, let me just run down some numbers for you. Uh, Rich Pilon has led the team in penalty minutes three separate occasions. And the cool thing about this is he led the team as a rookie with 242 penalty minutes, and then he led the team twice several years later. 96-97, uh, he had 179 penalty minutes, and 97-98, he had his 291 penalty minute season. So it's pretty cool that his first season he led the team in PIMS, and his second to last season, he led the team in PIMS. And like I said, that first season, 242, I believe is still a rookie record. Um, but the 291 towards the end is probably a little more impressive. Uh, Rich led the team in fighting majors once uh, in 97-98. He had 11. He was tied for the lead, uh, team lead with 11. He led the team in playoff penalty minutes once. 92-93, he had 50, 5-0. Uh, led the team in playoff fighting majors he, once he was tied in 92-93, it was one, but still counts, tied with one. And his season high in fights for the Islanders in 1988-89, his rookie season, he had 18 fights. Now, I know Richie gets a lot of shit from some people about the visor, but let's talk about some of the guys on his fight card. Todd Ewan of the Blues, Craig Berube, Flyers, Rick Tockett, Flyers, Marty McSorley, L.A., Jay Miller, L.A., Joey Koser of Detroit, Ken Danico of the Devils, Rob Ray, Buffalo, Chris King of the Rangers, Randy McKay of Jersey, Shane Corson in Edmonton, Mark Podvin of the Kings twice, Jimmy Cummins in Tampa, Jamie Huscroft, Calgary, Brendan Witt, Washington, Chris Murray, Ottawa, Dan Cordick, Philadelphia, Sandy McCarthy, Tampa Bay. We talked about a lot of those fights uh, in the two-part series that I had with Richie. But, I, I mean, if we're being honest... Richie 
no matter what he did, he's always going to be remembered for the rivalry with Eric Lindros. What I mean, that is old school hate rivalry. I mean, it's really what hockey is supposed to be. Richie would drive Lindros crazy. And he wouldn't just distract Lindros. It would distract guys like Dan Kordick and Brant Myers and everybody else that played physical for the Flyers wanted to kill Rich Pilon because he was already in Eric Lindros's head before the game even started. You know, not many people took the body on Lindros like Rich Pilon did. So, and in order for Rich Pilon to do that, Rich Pilon has to be on the top defense pair, which he was a lot of his career because he could play the game. Um, so, as everyone knows, Rich Pilon suffered a pretty serious eye injury that uh, forced him to wear a visor for the rest of his career. And I know a lot of people give Richie shit about that, and, and that's fine if you do. Um, but think about it from his point of view, where now he has to play his role with a visor. And he didn't have a choice. So I, I always hear, I always think that's funny when people criticize the guy about the visor. But it's not that he started as a rookie, had his 242 penalty minutes, his 18 fights, and he was wearing a visor. He didn't. He had to wear the visor in order to play hockey. And in the job that he did, I mean, really, physical defenseman to a T, your textbook physical defenseman, and the job he did, sometimes you had to drop the gloves. And if you look at the guys he dropped the gloves with, none of those guys are shrinking violets. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. It's like to, to criticize Rich Pilon for the visor, it's pointless because, A, he's retired. There's nothing you can do about it. So... Yeah, there you could pinpoint a couple of fights where the visor may have saved him. Uh, you know, I remember the fight he had with Jim Cummins where Jimmy might have hit him square in the face if it wasn't for the visor, but it is what it is. You know, I'm glad that Rich Pilon was an Islander because though the beginning of his career with a young Rich Pilon and a young Mick Vakoda, uh, before I even knew either one of those guys and I knew they were buddies, that was fun stuff. That really was, it was a fun team. And you know, the fact that Richie ended up playing here in double-digit seasons and had the career that he had, um, you know, it, it's phenomenal. And if you listen to the episode, you know that Rich went through some tough times with some substance abuse. Uh, he's totally clean of that stuff. Uh, he's coaching now in the SJHL with the Red Wings. Uh, his life's together. His son is playing in the Capitals organization. So Richie's doing great. Uh, and for everything Richie Pilon did, I have him at number three on my list. I think even Richie would agree. Uh, because it's funny, when you heard Richie talk about himself in the interview, I don't think he really considered himself a heavyweight like some of the other guys. Uh, even though he was, a, he was a big dude, he was like a bull. But I don't think he considered himself a heavyweight. So I think even Richie, for the great career that he had with the Islanders, probably couldn't argue with my number two and my number one. But uh, Rich Pilon, if you're listening to this, thank you for everything you did for the Islanders. And for what you did for the Islanders, I give you the number three spot on my top ten. Number two, the bomber, Ken Baumgartner, is my number two toughest Islander defenseman of all time. Ken Baumgartner played three seasons with the Islanders. Really, only one of those seasons was a full season, but he played three seasons here, 89-90 to 91-92. And even though he only played three seasons he's 14th all-time in penalty minutes with 678 total games for bomber 179 
with playoff penalty minutes, 705 penalty minutes, 52 fighting majors for the Bomber in 179 games. So Bomber led the team in penalty minutes one time, 90-91. He had 282 penalty minutes. That season, he also led the team in fighting majors with 21. Uh, the season before, the you know the big season with the Islander Ranger playoff brawl, uh, the, I mean, one of my most favorite memories is an Islander. Uh, he led the team in playoff penalty minutes at 27. Uh, he also led the team tied with several guys. Well, not several, but a few for fights that playoff season with one. He led the team. And the 21 fights that he had in 1991 was a season high for his Islander career. Now, I'm going to rattle off a lot of names here. I want to give you an idea of the caliber of guys that Bomber fought when he got here. Ed Kastelik of the Whalers, he fought him five times. Dave Maley, New Jersey. Alan May, it's surprising because it always seemed like those two guys were fighting. They fought four times. If you were witness to these games, it seems like they probably fought 40 times, but four times. Big Daddy Bob McGill of Chicago. Joey Koser fought him once with Detroit, once with the Rangers. Kelly Chase, St. Louis. And that Kelly Chase fight is almost like a study in um, technical fighting. It was such a defensive battle. Both guys grabbing on, tying each other up, you know, ducking, weaving. It was actually, you should look it up on YouTube. It really was just a very technical fight from two of the most technically sound fighters out there. Uh, also, Tim Hunter, Calgary twice. Brian Curran with Toronto. Marty McSorley, his former teammate, he fought him once at the Coliseum when Marty was with L.A. Uh, Craig Berube fought with Flyers and the Flames. Uh, Troy Crowder, New Jersey, that was during Troy Crowder's big run. Uh, Mike Peluso twice while he was a member of Chicago. Uh, minor league legend Serge Robert fought him at the Coliseum when he was with Quebec. Uh, fought Darren Kimball, the guy that Serge was in the lineup for when Darren was out with an injury. When Darren uh, was healthy, Bomber fought him as well. Uh, Todd Ewan, Montreal version. Uh, fought Ty Domi four times with the Rangers. Lyndon Byers, Chris Nyland, both with the Bruins. Basil McRae of the North Stars, Dave Brown of the Flyers. I mean, Bomber pretty much fought everybody there was to fight. You've heard me wax poetic a million times about how much fun it was to be an Islander fan during the time where you had Bomber on defense and Nick Fakoda at forward. I mean, what an amazing tag team. It, they really did bring the Western League to Long Island. It was so much fun. Um, you know, I mean, Bomber, everybody knows he's a Memorial Cup champion with Prince Albert. Uh, Rod Dahlman, former Islander, was a teammate of his. Dave Manson was a teammate of his. And if you remember, Bomber's first game with the Islanders was in Chicago. And uh, Dave Manson, uh, Bomber's first skirmish as an Islander was with Dave Manson because Manson went in, he was giving Palafontaine a hard time, and Bomber just came in. He was probably an Islander for a couple hours, whatever it was, and he came in and he, he came in to kind of settle Dave down. Um, I've told the story a bunch of times, uh, but for those that may not have ever heard it, uh, I was going to college at St. John's at the time, and uh, I had a Baumgartner LA jersey that I used to wear all the time, and most people had no idea who he was. And uh, one day I'm driving to school, uh, listen to Imus, and I believe Mike Breen was doing the uh, sports report. And they, he announces that the Islanders have acquired Ken Baumgartner and Hubie McDonough from L.A. for 
Miko Makala. And I'm, I literally almost drove off the parkway because obviously I'm wearing Baumgartner's jersey around, so I'm a fan of his. Hubie McDonough I, I didn't know too much about, to be honest. I don't know how much he actually played in L.A. Um, I didn't know much about Hubie, but I wasn't a big Miko Makala fan. I know that probably is hard for you to believe if you know me. Um, didn't really care too much for Miko, and I didn't really view it as much of a loss, as much of a loss getting a guy like Bomber. So I'm on the parkway. I'm not even at school yet, and I'm, I almost drive off the highway. I don't, I don't know. There's no cell phones back then. I'm freaking out in my car because the Islanders just traded for one of my favorite players. So I will never forget that morning on my way to school. And then, of course, after he plays a few games, I wear the jersey to school, and people go, oh, that's the guy the Islanders just got. So I'm not telling the story to say, hey, I love Ken Baumgartner before he was an Islander. It's more along the lines of, I remember when I heard about the trade. Um, it's similar to when I heard about the Islanders getting Jim McKenzie. Uh, but it, the, really, the re real reason why I'm telling you that story is because I remember hearing it on the radio like it was this morning. And it, was, it just brought such a huge smile to my face. Um, Bomber was always integral in the rivalry, the Islander-Ranger rivalry. And like I said, that brawl where the Islanders had to stand up for Pat LaFontaine after he was elbowed high by James Patrick. Um, you know, Bomber and Mick, you know, <laughs> exacted revenge. Couldn't have scripted it any better. And just thinking about Bomber circling, two seconds left on the clock, uh, the face-off is going, and Bomber just circling and circling like a shark and hearing Jig's call. I watch that clip probably five or six times a year. I, I just get goosebumps every time it happens. Um, you know, I'm so glad that he was an Islander. I mean, this is a guy that many people that are fight nerds like me have in their all-time top 20, top 25. Uh, and if they don't, he's probably close to there. I mean, this is a guy that had a phenomenal career as an enforcer. Uh, and, and the thing is, um, unfortunately, uh, I think Bomber doesn't really like being referred to as that I mean uh, a lot of guys don't really like to talk about it Bombers definitely one of them and and the sad thing is I didn't see all of Bombers games with LA but I did see all of Bombers games with the Islanders and and the fact is the guy could play like he took a regular shift here um, it's easy to talk about his fights because he was so good at that I mean his run with the Islanders was phenomenal but fighting aside he took a regular shift, and he was a solid defenseman. And um, I, I don't know. I think a lot of times that over maybe he feels like the fighting overshadows all the other aspects of his game. And um, he doesn't really do like he'll never do my show, or I don't think he'll do, ever do anyone's show if it's a if it's a fighting show. Um, I'd like to think that uh, him and I had a, had a good relationship. Well, I know we had a good relationship when he was here, and and after he left for Toronto and his other teams. And I'd like to think if he would ever do a show where the focus was fighting, that it would be mine. Um, but I had approached him years ago when I had my website to do uh, just an interview, a Q&A interview, where it would be, uh, you know, not nothing verbal. It would be all written or typed, and he didn't have any interest. So um, I think for fans that are maybe hoping to hear Kenny on a show where they're going to want to talk about his fighting primarily, uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And, and to me, that's a bit of a shame because, you know, Guy was so good at it. And, you know, even if he would agree to talk to me about his Islander time, 
Um, I would love to just do a show about that. Uh, maybe get Mick on the line too, have the two of them uh, at the same time talk about his time here. But um, probably won't happen. But my memory of Bomber as an Islander is it's nothing but good memories. I wish the tenure was longer, but for the three seasons he was here, it's pretty legendary in my eyes. So um, Bomber probably would be number one if it wasn't for the monster that I'm about to introduce you to, who I'm sure you've guessed already, who's number one. But Bomber, thank you for your tenure with the Islanders. You are my number two. Number one, toughest defenseman of all time. To me, probably to you, who ever played on this or in this organization, is Big Eric Cairns. Gino Ojic recently on Twitter said Eric Cairns is the toughest guy he's ever played with. So it's a compliment to hear that from anyone. If I compliment Eric Cairns, it's a compliment. When someone like Gino Ojic, a guy who's been through the wars himself and been through plenty of the wars, and a guy who's played with some pretty tough guys over his career, says you're the toughest guy he's ever played with, that's a pretty big deal. So I was, I was happy to see that. Um, there's so many levels to the Cairns story with the Islanders, so let's start off with some numbers first. So uh, Big Eric Cairns, my number one toughest New York Islander defenseman ever. Uh, six seasons with the Islanders from 98-99 to 2003-04. Uh, eighth all-time in penalty minutes with 814. When you include playoffs, we have 339 games, 842 penalty, minu- 842 penalty minutes, easy for me to say, with 66 fights. Uh, on his resume, Kerensey led the team in penalty minutes four times, 1999-2000, 196 penalty minutes, 2001-02, 176 penalty minutes, 2002-03, 124 penalty minutes, and 2003-04, 189 penalty minutes. Simultaneously, those four seasons, he led the team in fights. 99-2000, 14 majors, 2001-02, 13 majors, 2002-03, 12 majors, and 2003-04, 17 majors, which of course was his Islanders high for a season, 17 fights, 2003-04. Also, he led the team in playoff fighting majors twice. In 2001-02, he had one, he was tied with a few guys, maybe one guy, I don't know, offhand. Uh, and 0203, he also had one, so he led the team there. Also led the team in preseason fights one time. He had two fights in uh, 2000, 2001. He had two tied with someone. I didn't make that note. That was probably the preseason where he fought Steve McLaren and Francis Lassard when they were both with the Flyers. I didn't make a note of that, although they're both on my list of his opponents. So let's talk about some of these opponents. Paul Cruz. Buffalo Sabres twice. Peter Worrell, Florida Panthers, three times. The legend, Bob Probert, once. George LaRock, twice. Ty Domi, twice. Dennis Bonvey, minor league legend with a lot of NHL games, twice with Pittsburgh, once with Boston. Reed Simpson, Tampa Bay, once. Craig Berube in Philadelphia and Calgary. Uh, Francis Sassard with Philadelphia and Atlanta. Steve McLaren with Philadelphia. Todd Fedorik of Philadelphia three times. 
Uh, Sandy McCarthy of the Rangers, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, Jeff Odgers of Atlanta. Jody Shelley of Columbus twice. Rob Ray of Buffalo once. Eric Bolton of Buffalo once. Donald Brashear, Philadelphia. Jim McKenzie, Nashville. Stephen Pete, Washington. Aaron Downey, Dallas. Dale Purinton twice, and we're going to talk about that too. Jared Burnett once. So there's so many things about Karen's career that I love. First of all, uh, I met Karen's very early in his career with the Rangers. If he wasn't a rookie, he was a second-year player. Just a big kid, an easy kid to, to love. I mean, just I love the guy. Such a nice man, always very pleasant. Definitely wouldn't want to see him mad. And I've seen him mad a few times. Glad he wasn't mad at me. But just a, ni- you know, a nice guy, an easy guy to root for. And, you know, for whatever reason, the Rangers never seemed where he could, you know, grab a spot with the Rangers and stay. So he seemed to be up and down with the Rangers in Binghamton or the Rangers in Hartford. And the Rangers decide to put him on waivers and, lo and behold, claim by the Islanders. Now, again, similar to the other times, like I talk about Bomber getting traded or when the Islanders signed Jim McKenzie or a bunch of other guys, I was pumped because... I figured the Islanders weren't very good at the time when they claimed them off waivers. This was a good opportunity. Maybe he was going to see extensive time with the Islanders and not so much in the minors. And he did spend some time in the minors before joining the big club and sticking, um, which, of course, is okay. Uh, Thankfully, it wasn't as extensive as his time with the Rangers. But the fact that he came from the Rangers and became what he became with the Islanders makes it that much sweeter. And so let's talk about a few of his more famous incidents with the Islanders. So let's see, what do I have here? All right, so he fought Matt Johnson twice. He fought Matt Johnson with Atlanta and fought Matt Johnson with Minnesota. So a lot of the role of enforcer is mental. It's psychological. And when Kearnsey was in the OHL, so was Matt Johnson. And Matt Johnson was the toughest guy in the league. And when Matt Johnson was drafted by L.A., all the hype around Matt Johnson was how he's the toughest guy without an NHL contract. And Matt Johnson, he's another guy. Uh, unfortunately, I know he's fallen on some hard times. Uh, I used to talk to Matt all the time when he played. Uh, I haven't talked to him in years. I'd love to get in touch with him. I don't know how to do that, though. Uh, but I love Matty. Uh, but Matty did a number on, on Eric in, in the OHL. Now, I nev- I've never seen the fight, but a few people that... Uh, I've spoken to that had uh, have seen the fight, said it was very one-sided, and Matt really tuned him up pretty good. So it's probably something that doesn't ever leave you. So if you're Eric Cairns, you always know that Matt Johnson got the better of you and in a big way. Uh, but they turn pro. Now he ends up fighting him not once but twice, and he did very well in the two fights. I think the Atlanta fight was first. That's where, obviously, it was first. That's where Johnson played first. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of, you ask anyone that's done this job, the psychological aspect of it, a lot of times is much tougher than the physical aspect. So for Kenzie to come out and fight a guy that maybe beat him the worst that he'd ever been beaten in a fight, to me, says a lot about his fiber and his intestinal fortitude and just his character. And that not only did he fight him once, but he fought him twice, to me, says a lot about him. Uh, also fought Matt Barnaby, fought Matt Barnaby when he was with Tampa. But the more famous Matt Barnaby issue was when Matt Barnaby was with Pittsburgh. And <laughs> the cameras, thank God, 
whoever the cameraman is, I, I would love to buy you a beer. So they both go off the ice. And the way that the hallways are, I'm sure it's similar in most arenas, but uh, the Coliseum hallway is, you know, it's pretty much the visitors were at one end, the Islanders are at the other end. And they weren't separated by a fence or anything. There was a curtain. And curtain isn't going to hold too many people back. And it's definitely not going to hold back an angry Matt Barnaby. And it's definitely not going to hold back an angry Eric Cairns. So uh, I think it was NHL Tonight. They actually, uh, someone had the footage. I don't know if it was the Islanders feed or the Penguins feed. So the, it's from, it was probably the Penguins feed because it was from the Penguins side of the hallway. The camera was following Matt Barnaby walking down towards the Islanders locker room. And I would imagine, and again, there's no volume on it, so I can't imagine, but I don't know if they were both yelling, uh, but I, maybe Barnaby might have been yelling. And you see Barnaby walk, walk towards the curtain, and next thing you know, as he gets there, all you see is this monster right hand come through the curtain and slug Barnaby. You know, Barnaby's a tough guy. You know, he didn't back down, but it's just, uh, you know, it's scary fighting a guy when you're face to face with him. And, you know, next thing you know, you don't know when that sledgehammer is coming through the curtain, but he, he hammered him pretty good uh, through the curtain. So that is, to me, the more memorable incident with Matt Barnaby uh, than the actual fight with Tampa. Now, most memorable for Eric Cairns to me were the uh, games against the Rangers. So uh, probably the, the two most well-known incidents were... Um, first incident with Sandy McCarthy and um, Theo Fleury where uh, McCarthy was challenging him and uh, but the play was going on Cairns declined I'm going to try to remember this right and McCarthy ended up scoring if I'm not mistaken and Cairns ended up fighting Steve McKenna and and I think I have that right you know you think I would have researched this before I recorded this but I think I have that right and Theo Fleury who I, I respect, um, not so much for his time with the Rangers, but as a whole in his career, uh, for his career, uh, starts flapping his arms around like a chicken to Cairns. I guess Cairns was in the box after the fight with McKenna, and he starts skating around and flapping his arms like a chicken. And I guess if... And, and listen, Theo Fleury is the heart of a lion, but Theo Fleury has no business ever being in a fight with Eric Cairns. So I guess if you're on the bench and you look to one side and you got Sandy McCarthy and you look to the other side and you're Steve McKenna, I guess maybe you feel like, you know, a lot tougher. I feel like you're protected. Uh, but that uh, that did not sit well with Eric Cairns. And then after that, you got Sandy McCarthy on the bench flexing his muscles, you know, doing the bicep uh, flex. And uh, I don't think that sat well with Eric Cairns either. So um, next game that they're playing and that game was at the Coliseum next game they play is at the garden and I could only imagine the the day that uh, Cairnsy might have had I'm sure he was probably just so focused uh that whole day um back at the hotel probably I would who knows if he even slept and he they play and gets McCarthy on the ice square off they start fighting and Cairnsy did pretty good in that fight did uh, did very well in that fight and um you know really showed you didn't have to show anyone you know i don't want it to seem like that uh everyone knows how tough eric cairns is but you want to try to show the guy up like theo did and sandy did 
um, he kind of showed everybody that may have doubted him just uh, that he's he's the fucking man. And his run with the Islanders, he was the fucking man. And I know even um, after the game, uh, obviously uh, some of the media went to uh, Sandy's locker and asked him about the fight. And I remember him saying, well, I never said he wasn't tough. Like, you know, just... And I like Sandy. Look, Sandy McCarthy's a fucking monster. I'm not not degrading Sandy McCarthy. I met him once or twice, good guy and everything. Uh, I didn't really enjoy the antics, of course, at the time. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Sandy McCarthy knows how tough Eric Cairns is. And I, I get the showmanship part, part of it. It sells tickets, and it just adds to the rivalry. Like I said in a post on Twitter uh, after Theo was snubbed for the Hall of Fame, I hated Theo Fleury when he was a Ranger. I mean, he absolutely was terrific for the rivalry, but I'm an Islanders fan. I hated Theo Fleury as a Ranger. And, uh, but he should have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't care for a lot of the showboat stuff. And um, when guys showboat and then they, uh, they get taken the task for it, I love that stuff. So um, it was nice to see Cairns uh, drop the gloves with Sandy and, uh, you know, I would say tune him up. Sandy was no, he wasn't any worse for wear, but he definitely lost the fight. It was a great showing for Cairns. Islanders were pumped. Cairns, I'm sure, was pumped. He's such a low-key guy, though, but I'm sure on the inside he was feeling pretty good. So that was nice. Um, he fought Richard Scott. I think that was. I think he put him into retirement. And I'm not. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Uh, Richard Scott, uh, very very tough guy. Fought him. He knocked him out. I don't know if Scott played after that. Um, and uh, again, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but in the world of fighting, it's not a bad thing. But. I hope Richard Scott is uh, is doing okay. Uh, but the one that uh, is right up there for me with the whole McCarthy and Theo Fleury incident was Dale Purinton. And Purinton is a guy who I actually met, I think, when he was a rookie with Hartford. Really, you know, good kid and everything. Um, it, was, it was pretty early in his tenure there. I think he was surprised that someone knew so much about him. Um, you know, really, really nice guy. Um, and I know I think he's gone through some troubles lately, but hopefully he's uh, he's doing better. Um, Purinton has a reputation as a tough player. He also has a reputation as someone who's could, who can be unpredictable. And um, in a game at the Garden, um, he suckered Cairns. I mean, they were... I, I don't know what the conversation was, but Cairns wasn't looking at him, and Purinton dropped the gloves, and he suckered him, and he caught him with a really good shot. And... Um, I I don't know like I I I know look uh we're all men let's say and anyone can beat anyone on any given day but why give a guy like Karen's added incentive I never understand that you know he's a nice enough guy you know probably once you're in a bad spot he'll let up but why why make him angry so of course now he's suckered and he's pissed and of course they play again soon and I mean, it's obvious what's going to happen, right? I mean, it's obvious. This isn't 2020 NHL. So the game goes on, and of course, there's scrums going on. And uh, now Karen's wants his revenge, and there's a scrum. And I think at the same time, uh, Chris Simon ends up fighting Goddard. And Karen's just has tunnel vision. He wants Purinton. And I would love to ask Dale about this because it seemed like Purinton wanted no part of him. And even in the interview I just did with Aaron Ashram, who was with the Islanders at that time, he says, 
Puritan wanted no part of him. And, of course, Ashram says, I don't blame him, and neither do I. Of course, I don't blame him. I don't want Eric Cairns looking to rip my head off. But um, it looked like Puritan wanted no part of him. And, uh, you know, to me, if they had um, if they had an honest fight, let's say, in that first game, and Cairns wants his revenge, you know, as a fan, I want to see the rematch. But if you sucker a guy, and then they play again, and the guy wants his revenge, I think you got to go. I, I think you just have to. I think if you want to sucker a guy, uh, and now you're playing, a, and and it's not that, you know, Puritan's not a fighter. So let's say you know it's, I don't know, Kenny Linsman or the Marshawn, the guy on Boston. He suckers the guy. Well, you know he's not going to fight. You just know it. No matter what you do, you know he's not going to fight. But you know Puritan, that's the role he played. He suckered Kernsey in that game. The fact that Cairns wanted revenge. I don't think is such a crazy idea, but uh, Purinton didn't want any part of it in that game. It's uh, it's disappointing because I would have loved to uh, I would have loved to seen what would have happened. But um, you know, Cairns is another guy. Uh, so many memories, so many fond memories of, of the big guy as an Islander. Um, really, uh, I've said this a million times, and it's going to be tough. I tell you, when I get to that top ten list. Uh, <laughs> To me, Eric Cairns, I mean, like I said, it's really a toss-up. The Islanders have five legitimate guys who you could rank number one. If you really want to break it down, you could rank five guys number one. It's not To me, it's not just as cut and dry as Clark Gillies is number one. Now, that's not to say that Clark Gillies won't be my number one. It just means that Cairns is the guy that I say most of the time if people want to say he's the toughest guy that ever played for the Islanders, I have no issue with that at all because he played in an era where everybody has seen him play. Everybody's seen what he did. He crushed guys. He killed guys. Okay? Getting hit with an Eric Cairns right hand is like getting hit by a Mack truck. Okay? And, and let me say this also because to me it's not always about the fights. Eric Cairns is a guy similar to Ken Baumgartner, where I did see a lot of, uh, unlike Bomber, where I didn't see a lot of his games with L.A., I did see a lot of Cairns' games with the Rangers. And I don't honestly think the Rangers gave him a legitimate chance. Now, Ranger fans may disagree with me. The Ranger organization may disagree with me. Uh, And again, I'm watching the game from an Islander fan's eyes, but I love this guy. Uh, So when he came to the Islanders, again, they're in a much different spot as the Rangers were. The Islanders were... A, a worse team which would present a guy like Eric Cairns the opportunity to step in and contribute with his gloves on and when Eric Cairns was an Islander he was a top six defenseman took regular minutes and improved his game dramatically and I think one has something to do with the other I think you you let this guy develop he develops into a player and I think it was Yarmir Yager who said Eric Cairns was the toughest defenseman he ever played against and if it wasn't Yager, it was someone of that stature, but I'm pretty sure it was Yager. And if you're going to get a compliment like that from a guy like Yarmir Yager, I mean, that's huge. So what? when he was claimed by the Islanders, what that afforded Eric was the opportunity to develop as a player, to improve as a player, and then when he improved as a player, his confidence went up. And then when his confidence goes up, it just affects every aspect of his game, and that includes the fighting. And Eric Cairns' tenure with the Islanders, as far as his play goes, 
probably the best he ever played because of course I didn't see his games all his games with Florida and Pittsburgh but I know with the Islanders top six defensemen very reliable defensively and as far as dropping the gloves uh, as far as defenseman goes takes a backseat to absolutely nobody in my opinion that's why Eric Cairns number one top 10 toughest defenseman in my opinion so um I hope that you guys enjoyed taking this trip down memory lane of defensemen with the Islanders. Um, I don't think that everyone's going to agree with me. And uh, if you do, that's fantastic. As long as I entertained you, as long as I presented my case, um, that that was my goal here. And like I said, please do me a favor, especially if you're an Islander fan, and especially if you're an Islander fan, of a certain age where you've seen a lot of the guys play that I mentioned, come up with your top 10 and, and, uh, at me on Twitter at the, uh, at the show, Twitter, send me who your top 10 would be. Even if you take the guys I listed and come up with your own top 10, I would love to hear your reasoning, who your top 10 is, even a top five. Um, to me, that's what makes this fun. So, um, so if you have time, do that. Uh, hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. We can compare our lists. And um, other than that, as far as next week goes, uh, next week I do hope to have Eric Bolton. Uh, I'm hoping to hook up with him this week. And uh, once I'm done with Bolton, uh, actually, forget about once I'm done with Bolton, this week I hope to have two interviews lined up. Uh, And, of course, I am really excited to talk to Eric. Uh, You know, Eric is a guy who obviously... I had seen over the years, uh, you know, with Buffalo when the Sabres were on TV, with Atlanta when they were on TV, and of course then with the Islanders, I saw all his games. But when I was doing the research for the interview, and I'm watching Eric Bolton fights, fight after fight after fight after fight, I got to tell you, underrated. I mean, super underrated. I mean, you know, maybe not in Buffalo. I'm sure in Buffalo they loved him. I mean, they had to have loved Eric Bolton in Buffalo. And uh, I, I don't know about Atlanta. I don't know how big they were down there, the thra- uh, Thrashers, but all-time penalty minute uh, leader in Atlanta, Eric Bolton. Just, fuck, this guy is so much fun to watch. So uh, I'm really excited about uh, talking to Eric because him and I, aside from a few texts, have never really talked before. So it'll be sort of a new situation for me, interviewing someone who I really don't have a previous relationship with for whatever reason uh with the teams he was on i was never able to hook up with them or introduce myself um so i'm actually looking forward to to doing that kind of interview um and then the other guy who i'm going to interview uh who i hope to interview this week after i interview eric uh is another guy similar to bolts that i've never really had a uh a conversation with so it'll be another guy who similar to the Bolton interview where we don't have a relationship already. Uh, and I hope that the interview comes off like we do though. That's always my goal to have the interview sound like it's two old friends having a conversation. But, uh, if I get Bolton and I get this other guy this week, that's going to be a kick-ass week for me because it's two guys who I've wanted to talk to since I started this show. And, um, if I, if I nail them both down this week, it'll be a great week. So, um, I think that's it. Guys, ladies, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, 
I guess that's it. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening.